All right, if you have your Bibles, open God's Word to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're working our way through this book, as, or at least through this chapter. As many of you know, this is the great Hall of Faith chapter. And we're going verse by verse through Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. Lord willing, we'll be dealing with verses 17 through 31. So we'll cover a good chunk of this chapter tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 31. Uh, I put on your notes there, everyone mentioned in tonight's study are related to one another. One of the interesting little facts as you read and study this section of this chapter, everybody in this section of Hebrews 11 are related to one another. Now, what I mean by that is some are related by blood. You know, up in East Tennessee would call them kinfolk, right? You know what kinfolk are, all right? Some of them are kinfolk. And then some are related, not by blood, but are related by life's experiences. They've gone through the same situations and similar experiences. But, but what you see in this, in this section of Hebrews 11, there is a chain of faith. And each link is interlocked. There's a chain of faith going from Abraham all the way to Rahab, the prostitute or, or harlot. So, so you, in this section of the material, we're going from this godly man of faith, Abraham. And that chain continues to go all the way to Rahab, the harlot. It's, it's an amazing uh, thing. But over a period of, of hundreds of years, each person in this chain of faith came to the same conclusion. And here's what it is. God can be trusted. That's what we're going to see tonight, that throughout this whole material, this chain of faith, each of these people who are connected and related to one another, they all came to the same conclusion, God can be trusted. Now, the emphasis in this section is really on the promise of God and His plans for the nation of Israel. But when we get into this section of material, starting with Abraham, we're really learning about God's plan God's promise for the nation of Israel. And so let's just jump in. We won't talk, first of all, about the generations of faith. And what I mean by the generations of faith, I put there on your notes, sharing the Word of God with your family. That in the first section, we talk about how these generations of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, how they share their relationship with God with their family. Four generations of faith are represented. Four giants of the faith. They are sometimes, this is not on your notes, but you might want to write it down. They, they are often called the patriarchs. These four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, are called the patriarchs. Does anybody know what that word patriarchs means? Father. It means father. These four individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, are, are the, the father the fathers of our faith. The fathers of our faith. They're, they're the fathers of the Hebrew nation, but they're more than that. They are also the fathers of, of our faith. Uh, Abraham especially. And so we start with him. We talked about Abraham last week, so let me just summarize some of the things we've talked about. Uh, so let's read, first of all, verse 17 through 19, then I'll summarize a little bit. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice... He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Stop there. What promises is he referring to here? 
Yeah, the promises that of, an, of a new nation that would be birthed out of his family. The promise of a son, that God would work through this son and through that son would multiply so that his family would be larger than, than the uh, sands on the seashore. It's, it's the promise of a, of a new nation, a godly nation. And so it says, He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That is, it is through Isaac that I'm going to do all of this. It's through Isaac that I'm going to accomplish these plans that I have for you and for your future. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So Abraham, who is the father of the nation of Israel, uh, began, uh, this story begins with, with God promising him a son, and put this on your notes, he had to wait 25 years for God to keep that promise. 25 years. Now, guys, can I ask you a question? Have you ever promised your wife something and she wanted to know, well, when? Right? Honey, I'm going to do that. Well, when? You've been saying that for a long time. That ever happened to you? No, some of you are perfect husbands. I see you say, no, no, no. We just. Yeah, most of us, not all of us, most of us, you've made promises, right? You've made promises to your wife. Honey, I'm going to clean out that building. Honey, I'm going to fix that. Honey, I'm going to whatever. And, and eventually, honey has to say, when? You promised that three years ago. And you haven't done it yet. Imagine what it would be like to wait 25 years. Some of you say, I don't have to imagine. I don't know exactly what that's like. <laughs> imagine what it would be like to wait 25 years, not for your husband to keep his promise, but for God. To keep his promise. And the problem with this waiting is this. Because of his age, the longer he had to wait, the more impossible it seemed. Every year, the impossibility grew in his mind. Every year, it just seemed a little more impossible that God would do what he said he was going to do. Ten years later, it seemed a little more impossible that God was going to do what he said he'd do. Fifteen years later, 20 years later, it seemed a little bit more impossible that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. 25 years later, it seemed impossible that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. But when God has promised, God will fulfill his promise. Maybe not on your timetable. Maybe not on mine. But when God has promised, he will fulfill his promise. And Abraham waited 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. And then God said, now, you know that son that I promised you? sacrifice it. I won't get into that because we talked about it last week, uh, but all the promises of God were wrapped up in Isaac. And now God says, sacrifice it. What was God doing? What in the world was God doing? Let me tell you what God was doing. He was testing Abraham's faith to see if he could be trusted with such a great blessing. You hear that? He was testing Abraham's faith to see if he could be trusted with such a great blessing. And of course, Abraham passed the test, and of course, Isaac survived. And so that's Abraham. And we, that's kind of a summary of what we did last week. Now we move on to Isaac, his son. Verse 20. And I want you to, as we read these, I want you to just think about how that, that chain is linked together. One generation linked to another generation and their faith in God. So in verse 20, by faith, Isaac, 
blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Now, what in the world is all of this about? Well, if you want to write down some places, some notes there, in Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 26, is the birth story of Isaac, uh, and, or I'm sorry, of Jacob and Esau. That's Genesis 25, 19 through 26 is the story of their birth. And then Genesis 27, 27 through 40 is the story of their blessing and uh, how he included God in their future. But that takes a long time to read through that material. And so for sake of time, I'm going to fast forward to Genesis 28. Go to Genesis 28, just the first five verses. This is after... This occurs after Jacob gets the blessing from Isaac. In Genesis 28, remember now Isaac, by the time we're reading in Genesis 28, Isaac is an old man. This was Abraham's son. He's now an old man in Genesis 28. And it says, So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, read closely the next verses. Verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land that God gave to Abraham. So here is very, you see very plainly that Isaac is passing on the blessing that he received from Abraham. It's going from generation to generation. This, this trust in God, the trust in God's promise, the trust in God's blessing. So Isaac is passing on to Jacob what Abraham has passed on to him. Read it again in verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. You see, just like his father had done for him, Isaac passed on the blessings of God's promise to his sons by faith. Is there a blank there for you to put in? All right. Just like his father had done, just like his father had done for him, Isaac passed on the blessings of God's promise to his sons by faith. So that's Isaac. Now we move on, going back to Hebrews 11, we move on to Jacob. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So in verse 21, the only thing that we hear about Jacob is when he's an old man at the point of death. What did this old man at the point of death do? It says when he was dying, what did he do? He, what did he do? He blessed his sons. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Isaac did? Isaac was blessing his sons as well. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to understand something. Yes, there's a lot of things we could say about Jacob, but Jacob did what his daddy did for him, Isaac, and Isaac did what his father had done for him, Abraham. 
they're passing on this blessing. They're passing on this promise. They're passing on this faith in the Lord God Almighty. So let's read about it. Genesis 48. Go back to Genesis 48. Genesis 48, verse 15. This is Jacob now, when he's an old man. He's about to die. It says in verse 15, Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become, will become what? A group of nations. He's talking about Joseph. A group of nations through him. He blessed them that day, verse 20. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he, he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And then, verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. Notice this. I love this as he's in his dying days. He's passing on his faith to his family, making sure they're walking in this same faith. He says, I'm about to die, but God's not going to die. Shorter's translation. I'm about to die, but God's not going to die. I'm about to die, but God will be with you. And not only will he be with you and take you back, where's he going to take you back? Take you back where? Back to the land. Back to the land of your fathers. Don't miss what this, is, what this chain of faith is doing here. Jacob is about to hand things over and bless Joseph as well as his other sons. But, but look how he describes it. I, I love the, the continuity here. Uh, in verse 15, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, skip on down, uh, may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. So here, here you, you have Jacob. In his dying days, his faith is still strong. And in his dying days, he's talking about this, this chain, this relationship that each of his forefathers has had with God. And he's asking Joseph to continue that to the next generation. And so then we come back to Hebrews 11, verse 22, and we look at Joseph. The fourth patriarch, by faith Joseph, when his end was near... Isn't it interesting that these are all talking about when they were dying, when they were coming to the end of their life? 
Verse 22, by faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Now, why would that be significant? That he gave instructions about his bones. Why would that, why would that matter? Well, let's go back and try to dig it out. Go to Genesis chapter 50. Verse, uh, Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. Joseph, verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of a maker and son of Manasseh, uh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Verse 24. Uh, so before we get to verse 24, so this, there's this ongoing thing of generation after generation after generation. And we read in verse 24, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. Sounds a lot like what Jacob said at his death. I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you see how that chain continues to grow? With each one, there's another link added, isn't there? Each one, now Joseph is talking about not just Abraham and not just Isaac, but about his dad, Jacob. And he says... But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin where? In Egypt. Is Egypt the land God had promised? No. The land that God had promised was, was of course, Israel. The nation, the, the, what we would call now the, the nation of Israel. That's the land God had promised. But when Joseph died, when this patriarch died, the faith had been passed on now from Abraham to who? To Isaac. And from Isaac to Jacob, and from Jacob now to Joseph. And now Joseph, as he's at the end of his life, he says, I'm about to die, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand, first of all, God's going to keep His promise. I'm so convinced that God's going to keep His promise that later when He does, you carry my bones out of this land of Egypt because God has promised that we will have the land of Israel. So you carry my bones up there. So you have this, this faith in God Almighty being passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. You have this hope of this promise, this promise of God being passed on from generation to generation to generation. And when it ends, Joseph is in Egypt. Um, Put this, let's see, I, I, I want to make sure I don't miss any 
places on your notes. I think there's a place there on your notes that says, uh, death is the acid test of faith. Is that, is that on your notes right there? I kind of jumped ahead in my notes, so I'm trying to go back and catch up. I didn't do Jacob. In his dying days, his faith was still strong. Is that what, what it is? And, and then Joseph, another example of, uh, of the truth in, in Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, living by faith when he died, and death is the acid test of faith. Uh, now let me talk to you about these men for a moment. These four patriarchs before we move away from them. Go back to Hebrews 11. Uh, just so you'll, you'll be ready to, to continue. But as we turn back to Hebrews 11, let me talk to you very quickly about these four men. If you know the story of these four men, probably every one of them had their flaws. I mean, if we had time, that, that would almost be a good study is to see what, how messed up they were in some regards. And yet, God used them. To accomplish his purpose. And can I tell you why? Everybody listen. Can I tell you why? We've all got flaws. And none of us are perfect. You see these men were not perfect. But they were devoted. They did trust in the Lord God Almighty. Sometimes they failed. Put this on your notes. I think it's there. Sometimes they failed. But their faith never failed. And so they handed down God's promises from one generation to another generation. I put this on my notes. It's not on yours. You might want to write it down. I, I, I wrote down, the men of God died, but the promise of God did not. The men of God died, but the promise of God did not. And so we read in verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. And so the, the book of Genesis ends where, class? Where does it end? Where does the book of Genesis end? Well, what country? Egypt. So, so if you know your Bible at all, who do you suppose the next person is we're going to be talking about in this grand story? Moses. Exactly. It all fits, Right? I told you these are all interrelated. They are all connected. Sometimes they are connected by faith, I mean by, by blood, and sometimes they're connected by circumstances. And so I want to talk to you secondly about the victories of faith. You see, battles are won when we trust God. Battles are won when we trust God. So we go to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw, I like this, they saw that he was what? Doesn't every parent feel that? This is no ordinary child right here. This is a special child. And Lord willing, in you know, about a week and a half, I'm going to be looking at a grandbaby and say, that is no ordinary grandbaby right there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> said the grandpa. But, apparently it was just more than parents' pride. 
It says in verse 23, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, every person in this text that we're about to read about is connected to the person mentioned previously. Starting here in verse 23 and following, every person that we read about is connected not by blood. The first four were connected by blood. But now, starting in verse 23, these are connected to the person that's mentioned previously, and they're connected by circumstance. So in verse 22, we, we see that, that Joseph ends his life, or not ends his life, his life ends in Egypt. And then we, we read about Moses. They're connected because Moses was in Egypt. Now, Moses was fortunate to have believing parents. And can I say to you, and you'd agree with me, I know Miss Peggy would agree with me, you are fortunate indeed if you had parents who believed in God. I've heard, as I said that about Peggy, I've heard her say that something to, to that effect before. But if you had a godly mom and a godly dad, if you had godly parents, you are fortunate indeed. Moses was that kind of a person. He, he, you know, he was so fortunate that he had a mom and dad who believed in the Lord God Almighty. For them to hide their son from the authorities took a great deal of faith. Now let's just read this story. It's, it's a, in some ways a childhood story because, you know, you, you have those little storybooks and all, but you'll find it in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, as the way it's described here, in Hebrews it says no ordinary child. Here it says she saw that he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now, why is it that she had to hide her son? Somebody tell me. Who would have killed him? Why? Say it, say it Miss Evelyn. What did you say? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Hebrews were repopulating quickly. They were, they were very fertile people during this time. And they were having a lot of kids. And, and Pharaoh was afraid, but before too long, they're going to be more of them than they are of us. And so the best way to handle this situation is, he gave instructions, we're going to kill the male children. We're going to wipe out their army before we ever have to fight them. All right? Wipe out the army before we ever have to fight them. Kill the male children. Now, so Moses was one of those little boys. And for the first three months after he was born, for the first three months, mom and dad was able to hide him. They were able to shh, 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 shh. 
it's all right, you know. But eventually the kids grow up, don't they? They get a little bit more rambunctious and they get a little bit, you know, they're a little bit out there. They're, they're wanting to whatever. Uh, now, he's not walking by three months at all, but he's probably getting a little bit louder. And, and it says, when she could hide him no longer, verse 3, uh, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at the distance to see what would happen to him. Don't you know that had to be one of the hardest things they'd ever done? Maybe the, probably the hardest thing. First of all, you're giving away your child. And the only reason you would give away your child is that's the only hope of hopefully sparing his life. But you're not, you're, you're not even sure who you're giving your child away to. You're just putting your child out there in a basket. But in reality, you know what she was doing? She was putting her child in the hands of the Lord God Almighty. And so let's see what happens. You know the story, but let's read it. Verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendant... Isn't, that, this, is, isn't this just like God? Who finds the child? Pharaoh's daughter. Who's trying to eliminate the children? Pharaoh. Where does Moses end up? In Pharaoh's household. It's just like God just to do the amazing. All right, so let's keep reading. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to, to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. And she knew what it was or who he was. She said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. She knew what that meant. This is one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Don't you know, listen, don't you know that first time she took that little baby Moses back and held Moses in her arms again and began to nurse him? I guarantee you there were tears flowing down her cheeks. But now this is where it gets tough. Verse 10. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think that's why it says in Hebrews, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, and because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They had to have a lot of faith to do that. A lot of faith in the Lord God Almighty. A lot of faith that God was going to take care of this child. But can you imagine the hurt and the pain of turning your child over and letting him become Pharaoh's, grand, uh, Pharaoh's grandson? Just unimaginable. But listen to this. God was at work 
even in that darkest time of her life. God had a plan for Moses. God knew about the burning bush in what we read in Exodus 3. God knew the plan already. He knew the plan was to give this baby uh, the opportunity to grow up in Pharaoh's home. And then he was going to be the one that would lead his people out of Egypt. Because God didn't plan on leaving his people in Egypt. God planned to bring his people out of Egypt. God had a place for his people and that was in the promised land. They were still in Egypt as slaves. God wanted them out of Egypt and in the promised land. And so God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. This little boy, he's going to grow up here in Egypt under Pharaoh's roof. And then he's going to be the one that I lead or that they lead, I used to lead them out. Out of slavery, out of bondage, and into the promised land. You see, it all hinges on this promise, doesn't it? It was the promise that God made to Abraham, and that was passed on to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to Joseph. And now, this promise hinges on what God's going to do in and through Moses. Can I say this to you about Moses? Um, Warren Wiersbe said, a home should be the first school of faith for a child. A home should be the first school of faith for a child. Moses only had that opportunity for, who knows, this may be a few years. But thankfully, his godly parents led him eventually to have that kind of faith in the Lord God Almighty. And so we read about Moses now uh, in verse 24. The chain continues, all right? Remember, each person we read about is connected to the person previously mentioned. Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He knew who he was, didn't he? He knew he was a a Hebrew. Verse 25, He chose... He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. That's an interesting verse because did you see anything there that sounds a little odd? Yeah. Let's read that one again. Verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Folks, has Christ been born yet? But there was a messianic hope even in the Old Testament days. There was this messianic desire, this messianic plan of God, this this hope that God was going to send somebody to rescue us, somebody to deliver us. Moses was a picture, really, of the ultimate rescuer that was coming. It was a picture of the ultimate person who would lead us out of slavery into the promised land. And uh, let's see, I lost my place. Okay. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, 
Put this on your notes. I think there's a blank there for you. True faith is being obedient to God and trusting Him with the consequences. Life is made up of decisions. It's made up of choices. And in this section, we're talk, uh, we read about Moses' choices, the choices that he made and how that shaped his life. And we're about to run out of time, so I'm going to go real quickly through these next ones. Let me go on to the people of Israel, verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Again, this is connected to the one previously, so it's connected to Moses. The people of Israel uh, had faith as well. And put this on your notes. Faith is unconditional confidence in what God says. They passed through on dry ground. We know that story, but they had never seen that before. They'd never heard anything like that before. And when God opened that up and they walked forward on dry ground, that was tremendous faith. And then Joshua uh, is the next one, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. After the people had marched around them for seven days. Jericho was, once they passed, once they passed uh, the Red Sea, passed through the Red Sea and got into the Promised Land, the very first city that they, had, that they uh, took on was Jericho. So again, you see how each of these verses are connected to that which was previous. And, and so the writer tells us about the walls of Jericho and how they fell. And people marched around them for seven days. And put this on your notes. Uh, our struggles are conquered by faith. Our struggles are conquered by faith. And you might want to write down for reference later Joshua 2 through 6. The people of Israel experienced God doing what, uh, what only He could do as they watched the walls of Jericho fall. And then finally, verse 31. By faith. Now remember we started out verse 17 talking about Abraham. The great godly man of faith. We end up by talking about a prostitute. Pretty amazing story. By verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, how is verse 31 linked to verse 30? Because each one is linked to the one previous. How is verse 31, Rahab, linked to uh, the walls of Jericho? Yeah, where did, where did Rahab live? She lived in Jericho, right? And when, when the spies were sent in, she, she recognized what the Lord God Almighty was about to do. She declared her faith in the Lord God Almighty. She housed the spies and protected them. And they said, all right, uh, we will protect you. When we come to conquer the city, uh, if you'll put the scarlet rope out the window, we'll protect you because of your, your generosity and your faith in the Lord God Almighty. Now, now, can I say to you, she, would you at least agree, she's an unlikely candidate for the Hall of Faith? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but if you were writing the Bible, would it come to your mind, hey, remember that prostitute? Let's put something in there about her. In the Hall of Faith? With Abraham and Isaac and Jake. You want to write something about a, about a prostitute? What do you think? 
I believe I believe I get, believe it's you're exactly right. I think the scarlet rope was was a symbol of the blood of Jesus ultimately to come. Our salvation is only through the blood of Jesus. It's only in the blood of Jesus, and that scarlet rope represented the blood of Jesus. Now look, we're out of time. Let me just say this about about Rahab. She might be an unlikely candidate for the Hall of Faith. But put this on your notes. In the midst of unbelief, she believed. In a city where nobody else did, in the midst of unbelief, she believed. In the midst of unbelief, she, the prostitute, believed. And she was saved not because of her good character. She was saved because of her faith. That shows that anybody can experience salvation. And fast forward, fast forward. She became the mother of Boaz. Rahab became the mother of Boaz. Boaz married a young lady named Ruth. Ruth was the great-grandmother of a man named David who became king of Israel. And through that process, Rahab became one of the ancestors of Jesus. Isn't it just just like God? To say, hey, you know that lady that was a prostitute back there in Jericho? She's kinfolk. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing story of faith. And as it says in James, may we, do, may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. When we come upon those situations in our life, in our family, and in our church, may we trust in the Lord God Almighty. And may the story of your grace continue to carry on. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.